Hi, my name is Kirk Hamilton, your host of the Staying Healthy Today Show. This is a show where we bring you key experts in the fields of nutrition, prevention, integrative and lifestyle medicine. We review the medical literature and we review case studies. Today's show topic is, Can Aged Garlic Extract Reverse Coronary Atherosclerosis? Our guest today is Dr. Matthew Budoff. He is a medical doctor, professor of medicine at UCLA, the Endowed Chair of Preventive Cardiology, Program Director Division of Cardiology at the Los Angeles Biomedical Research Institute in Torrance, California. And he co-authored an interesting paper entitled, Aged Garlic Extract Reduces Low Attenuation Plaque in Coronary Arteries of Patients with Metabolic Syndrome in a Prospective Randomized Double-Blind Study in the Journal of Nutrition in 2016. So, welcome, Dr. Budoff. Thanks for being on the show today. Can you uh, share with me your educational background and, and how you got to be a preventive cardiologist? Yeah, I'm a professor of uh, medicine in uh, UCLA School of Medicine, and prior to that, I was a trainee at Harvard UCLA Medical Center in Torrance, California. What got you into preventive cardiology? You've had lots of training, internist and traditional cardiology. Why did you choose preventive cardiology? Yeah, well, you know, I, I saw that the times were changing and that it was important to improve upon what we were doing. And just fixing arteries after they were terminally blocked is not where we want to go in cardiology. So I wanted to get to the problem earlier and be able to make some real impacts. What are some of the tools that you use that would be different from uh, maybe a regular cardiologist that would help you see things in advance, so to speak, so you could prevent it? You know, I think that from a preventive cardiology aspect, you know, we focus on things like a heart-healthy diet, uh, exercise, and, and more importantly, what therapies might be useful in that clinical situation to help them with their heart health. So how do you assess somebody from a preventive aspect? I know you do some CT angiograms, but what is your approach to... Aside from diet and exercise, looking at those risk factors, but what kind of testing do you do to look at a, a patient preventively? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a big fan of the CT scan, the calcium score. Uh, it was featured in a documentary called The Widowmaker, which was a test, uh, was, was a, uh, showing kind of the utility of the test. And, and I, I, it gives me insight into how much plaque they have in their arteries. And if they have a lot of coronary plaque, then I'm more aggressive. If they have very little plaque, then I can back off to some degree and use a, a less aggressive approach. So I get confused a little bit. So, for example, today someone came in with lifeline testing. A patient did and said they had a, a coronary score of the, that showed the uh, left anterior descending artery was 50% blocked. What's the difference between the lifeline test and the sophisticated CT scanning that you all do? Yeah, so, you know, Lifeline uses ultrasound, and it's uh, not a bad test. It looks at plaque buildup in the carotid arteries into the neck, but we found that when we compared it head-to-head -head with the heart, that, that since most of us have heart attacks and not strokes, that the heart was a little more informative as to who has a problem and who would benefit from being more aggressively treated. So... I get confused. I hear soft plaque is the plaque that's the most dangerous. It can break off and go clot somewhere. And I was under the misinterpretation that the CT scanner just assessed for hard plaque, but you corrected me in the print interview. Could you go over that, what you see as far as soft plaque and hard plaque on the CT scanner? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, and it's, it's definitely a moving target for all of us. But uh, what we've been able to do is, is go from a pure calcium score, which only assesses hard plaque, 
And now we've been able to focus on soft plaque as well by doing what's called the non-invasive angiogram. So we inject a little bit of dye into the uh, vein and the coronary arteries light up and we can now see soft plaque, hard plaque, all different components. We can see blockages, what percent blockage the arteries are and really get a comprehensive evaluation. So if you can see the soft plaque and the hard plaque, and, and I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but obviously the soft plaque is the most dangerous? Yes, yeah, and actually what we saw in, the, in our, our most of our trials that we've done over the last uh, number of years, almost all of them, shows that it's the hard plaque that stays stable and it's the soft plaque or the, low, the, the, the vulnerable plaque that starts to get uh, resorbed when we do different therapies. Now, do you find that the soft plaque that you see correlates with, like, C-reactive protein or the uh, lipoprotein, PLA2, and the myeloperoxidase, or, or is it just the test is the test? It's, it's, you have to see it. No, I mean, there's, there's definitely some correlation with the inflammatory markers, like LPPLA2 or myeloperoxidase, but some people are inflamed because they have arthritis, or some people are inflamed because they have um, other problems and their coronaries are fine. So it's, it's not a bad correlation, but it's not, it's not perfect either. So the CT, the CT angiogram is much more specific, obviously. CT angiogram only looks at the coronary arteries and says, is there plaque? And if so, how much is there? So it's a very specific test just to the coronary arteries. I, I'm just curious why it isn't, maybe I'm ignorant, but why isn't it run more routinely if it's so clear is it, does it take a day of prep or is it a quick test? What kind of cost is it? How does that work? Yeah, no. So, so the CT angiograms, uh, a total of maybe 20 minute, 30 minute test doesn't take any prep per se, but does, but, uh, is a little more expensive because it does require an intravenous injection. You have to get an IV started. Most insurances cover the test, unlike the calcium score where it's largely uncovered. So we do get pretty good insurance uh, reimbursement and coverage. The net cost, patients that have had a pocket, would be somewhere in the $600 to $800 range, though, if they, had, if they didn't have insurance or if their insurance plan said no. So aside from st- studies, where you'd use this obviously, how do you pick people to do this test? So, I mean, I look at people who have either some atypical symptoms, so they might have a little bit of funny chest pain or some shortness of breath, and I'm trying to say, I wonder if they have you know, plaque in their arteries and blockages in their arteries, or sometimes a young person at risk, a very bad cholesterol profile, or a young person with diabetes, I'm going to be more aggressive and go after that person and take a look at their arteries and see what's going on. So I can be more aggressive prevention-wise once I see plaque, or I can be a little more reassured that they're doing okay by not seeing plaque. So I know you've been, so we'll get to the topic of the day, I know you've been studying garlic extract for quite some time. So the, the title of the article was Age Garlic Extract Reduces Low Attenuation Plaque in Coronary Arteries of Patients with Metabolic Syndrome in a Prospective Randomized Double-Blind Trial. So I, I assume is the low attenuation plaque, is that soft plaque? Yeah, that's, uh, that's the soft plaque that's really the most vulnerable. That's even a component of soft plaque that's even more at risk. So talk about... You've been studying aged garlic extract versus just plain old garlic. What, what is it that's unique about aged garlic extract? Because it's very hard to reverse atherosclerosis. So this substance, a simple substance, seems to, to have done it. So what is special about aged garlic extract? I can't say that we sell all the active ingredients, to be honest, but I can say that 
I liken the process to grapes becoming wine. When we age grapes and they become wine, they go through a conformational change. They have different properties. Wine is very good for the heart. Grapes probably not as necessarily specifically good for the heart. So I think that as you age the garlic, you get rid of the oxidation. That's what gives it a bad smell. So it's odorless. And basically you end up with a very clean product that has very little properties that would cause trouble for patients in their vascular bed. So I, I think it probably has a number of properties that are good, but I think it's the aging process that, that probably promotes that much more than raw garlic. Do you think it acts like a powerful antioxidant or anti-inflammatory? Yeah, I mean, we know what molecule reactive protein to some degree, so we know that there's at least some of it is a anti-inflammatory process, but I think it's probably also an antioxidant as well as it has a little bit of an effect on blood pressure and a little bit of effect on cholesterol. So it does a few different things that promote it becoming a powerful agent. So tell us um, about your study and why you chose 2,400 milligrams of this substance. And it's a pretty easily accessible substance, correct? Yeah, no, it's very well tolerated. Patients don't mind taking it at all. Again, it doesn't really cause much side effect. We chose 2,400 milligrams because we saw that the effect of 1,200 milligrams was good, but there were some studies out of Japan that suggested that we can go a little bit higher and maybe get even a larger effect on the plaque. So we wanted to maximize our chances of success, so we chose the higher dose. So what would be the problem of if somebody listens to this and they go to Keolik.com and they take, um, let's see, 1,200 milligrams twice a day? I think that's a 2,400 milligram dose. I mean, is there really a risk to that? No, I don't think so. I mean, it's very rare people get some stomach upset with it. Obviously, if you don't tolerate it, you're not going to continue. But I have to say, honestly, I use a lot of, a lot of my patients are still on the 1,200 milligram dose total. So 600 in the morning, 600 in, in the evening with food, just because they've been tolerating that very well. And our first three studies all showed a reduction in plaque, albeit not as dramatic as the fourth trial. So I, I do use 1,200 as my kind of my starting dose. And if they tolerate it and I want to get more effect, then I bump it up to 2,400. We are talking to Dr. Matthew Budoff. He is a professor of medicine, Dowd Chair of the Preventive Cardiology Program, Director of the Division of Cardiology at Los Angeles Biomedical Research Institute on the role of aged garlic in actually reversing, I guess we would call this reversal of atherosclerosis if the plaque gets smaller? Yep, yeah, no, literally there was less plaque on follow-up, so we call that reversal. And how long did these people have to stay on the 2,400 milligram? They're metabolic syndrome patients, so they had some other cardiovascular risk factors. Um, but how long did they have to stay on this? Uh, well, well, how long was the study? We had to stay on the, on, the, on the medicine for one year. So it was a one-year trial. And so you did before and after CT angiograms after one year. Exactly. Are there any other nutraceuticals that you use on a common basis for your cardiovascular, well, the same type of patient. Is there any other things that you add? So, you know, I've been uh, doing some more research with fish oils. Uh, I really like uh, EPA um, as another supplement. And, and when we combined garlic with coenzyme Q10, we had a very nice effect and, a, and an exaggerated effect on inflammation. So, so I think that those are two options for patients. So your three nutrients that are reasonable are the EPA, the CoQ10, and the garlic. Is that kind of a reasonable statement? Yeah, and again, I'm, I'm staying in the yeah, I'm, and I'm staying in the cardiovascular space. Obviously, there's a lot of great supplements out there that have 
have other potential benefits. But I think as far as the heart health goes, I think those are three that I really focus on. And what is your optimal diet? Um, I went and heard a talk by Dr. Esselton, who wrote in family practice. He's, you know, done the plant-based diet. I, I heard Dr. Ken Williams, the president of the American College of Cardiology, talk about him going on a plant-based diet. But what kind of diet do you recommend? Yeah, I mean, I think that I've been more moderate in my diet because I want people to stay on the long term. So I, I like things like the South Beach diet or the Mediterranean diet, something that we can adapt, that we can still go out to eat with friends, that we can do at home that's going to promote long-term compliance because diet is not a, a three-month or six-month fad. It's got to be a lifetime change. So, you know, uh, the Agustin diet, the South Beach diet focused on on reducing the white things, white bread, white rice, potatoes, and pasta. And I think that makes sense. I think Mediterranean diet focuses on more fish, less red meat, uh, you know, uh, garlic, olive oil, walnut, you know, healthy foods that you can incorporate in your day-to-day diet and not have to abstain from anything absolutely. So if every now and then you want to have a little bit of a steak, you have a little bit of a steak. You, you want to treat yourself once a, once a month for a little ice cream, you can have a little ice cream. But you don't want to do that every day, and you don't want to do that in excess. Well, don't you have a, a kind of a unique ability to see if something goes wrong by doing the CT angiogram? In other words, if there's no great marker and you go look in there and someone's doing a particular diet and particular therapy and you see some stabilization or even regression, then I, I guess what I'm trying to say is how do you know when they're really hot something bad's going to happen? Can you tell that from the CT angiogram or other inflammatory? No, no, we can do a non-invasive angiogram to see what's going on, and I do that sometimes in follow-up to try to track patients and see how they're doing. I don't use it routinely, and I don't do it annually in everybody. But I do think there's some benefit in following patients over time and seeing how they're doing. I mean, there's a lot of clues. I mean, we have inflammatory markers. We can check their lipids, their blood pressure. I mean, there's a lot of clues to how people are doing. And then, of course, the most important is how are they feeling. Do you assess for endothelial function? Because that's a buzzword that I hear about in cardiovascular medicine. And if you do, how do you do it? Or do you think that's not that important? Could you comment on that? I I think endothelial function is, is definitely a great early insight into vascular health into cardiovascular health. I think the problem I've seen over time is the devices have changed and they haven't caught on as widely as I would have liked. I use the endothelix device a lot. It's a vascular device that looks at temperature in the fingers and you occlude the artery and see what happens to the finger temperature. But there's a number of them out there. The Sphygmacore device, there's just a whole bunch of different ways of doing this. So, uh, you know, brachial artery reactivity, to see how the brachial artery responds to stressors. So I think there's all these different ways of approaching this. So I know the garlic, you know, had those multiple effects, inflammation, maybe lowered a little cholesterol, a little blood pressure. And I just want to end this by some people say cholesterol doesn't matter. Some people say you better lower it. Where are you on the cholesterol story? I, I like to get cholesterol down. I think cholesterol is a bad player, I think oxidation and antioxidants work by preventing um, uh, uh, LDL cholesterol from getting diet. So I think it's the primary mechanism of, a anti- of the antioxidant effect on the heart. So I do like to get the cholesterol down. I, I don't believe everybody needs a statin. I don't believe everybody needs 80 milligrams of a statin. But I do think that getting the cholesterol under control, either through natural approaches or through medications, is going to be important for long-term cardiac health.
Do you have what are your natural favorites? <laughs> your natural approaches. So I mean, uh, yeah, Reggie's rice works very well. It's, it's probably got some statin built into it, but it's a very potent. Lecithin has a nice effect on LDL. The aged garlic actually helps a little bit with LDL cholesterol. We showed a meta-analysis in our recent paper showing it lowers LDL by about 10 points. So I think it's a multifactorial approach. Diet is a big factor there as well, of course. And if the triglycerides are high, then fish oil becomes very important. Do you have a target cholesterol that you shoot for or LDL that you shoot for? I, you know, I like to see the uh, uh, LDL well below 100. And for patients who've already had a cardiac event, I really like to push it below 70, uh, if possible. But, of course, you know, that, that's sometimes not an obtainable goal, depending on the, on the patient and their uh, starting point. Are you more conscientious about using CoQ10 if you put someone on a statin, or does that something that cross your mind? I don't mind. Uh, I, I like CoQ10 for statin therapy. I think it helps with adherence, and I think it helps minimizing some of the side effects. We know that statins lower coins on Q10, so I think to keep out of trouble, I think it's a, it's a clever approach. Well, Dr. Buddha, thanks for letting me ask all those other questions, because when I get somebody knowledgeable who can look inside the heart artery, so to speak, it, it gets me excited. So is there anything else you'd like to say before we close? No, I, I just think that, uh, you know, it's a comprehensive approach to health, and it's a long-term game. So find an approach for individuals that works for them, remembering that we're not trying to do it for weeks, we're trying to do it for, for years. Uh, I think people have lost sight of that. There's been some very extreme diets that people can adhere to for 12 weeks or 24 weeks, but they really need to be on it for 12 years or 24 years. So I just think we have to remember that we're, we're fighting a, it's a, it's a, it's an end game. It's not a, not a short-term win or lose. Well, thank you so much for taking time on your busy schedule. I hope you have a safe trip. Don't get too jet-lagged and uh, learn something that we can all uh, learn from from you. So thanks again, Dr. Buddha. Oh, no. Thank you for having me, Kirk, and uh, uh, wish everybody well. Take care. And I want to thank you, the audience, for listening to this edition of the Staying Healthy Today show. And remember, you can go to stayinghealthytoday.com, listen to this podcast, and also up on iTunes and sign up for my health letter. Until next time, stay and be well. <laughs>